when you give a calcium loading, you can actually increase diet cost because what happens is, is as you pull limestone down and replace mm. it with corn, you're offsetting with a more expensive ingredient. So yeah. on a least cost basis, mm. you know, it's, it sometimes can actually work against you. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is you're exactly right. If we get too much calcium in these diets, and we clearly know that now, especially if we get over like a two, you know, you know, even one and a half, we could argue a lot of data, two to one. Uh, we know we're decreasing growth if we looked at a total or analyzed basis comparing those. Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Hey everyone, so today I interviewed Joe DeRushi from Kansas State University and we talked about feed enzymes and some thoughts on phytase, uh, calcium release from phytase, uh, which has some quite counterintuitive aspect there. Super dosing uh, phytase in nursery versus gold finishing pigs. Should we give some uh, amino acid or energy values? And also poultry and pigs when it comes to enzymes, uh, you know, are there difference there? And finally, some thoughts on xylanase and protease. So with that, Enjoy the episode. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Just All, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, Essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, today we have Dr. Joe DeRushi here with us. Uh, how are you, Joe? I'm doing great, Marcio. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, I appreciate your time, and we're going to chat about recent thoughts on enzymes in, in swine nutrition. So the first question of the podcast, and now we're also YouTube uh, recording here. So what, you know, if you can share about your career so far uh, and how you got involved in pig production, Dr. Rushi. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, livestock has always been part of my life. I can go back on both of my grandparents' sides, both grew up on family farms and and uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, so Grandpa Darushi, um, was actually one of the first Hampshire SBF breeders in the state of South Dakota. And for our younger wow. listeners, uh, SBF is, uh, is a health status that many producers had adopted over uh, several decades to categorize their herd. Mm -hmm. And actually, my father 
ordered his first 4-H pig through the Sears Roebuck catalog, a Yorkshire gilt that came on a train from Chicago to northern South Dakota uh-huh. and started his pig production on a pig that came on a train out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. So, But my family has been in, rooted in pigs, and my dad and me, grow, me growing up with my brothers, uh, we had the largest Chester White breeding herd in North America for many years in the 1980s and early 90s. Wow. Um, swine production and, and livestock as well, cattle and sheep were part of my upbringing. And I went to South Dakota State in animal science and wanted to continue on in the swine uh, area. And so I chose to go to graduate school in swine nutrition, was fortunate to get into the K-State program where I did my master's and PhD. And as I finished up that uh, my PhD, there was a position opening at K-State that was very heavy in extension and in a regional office. And um, I was fortunate to get that. And after a couple of years, moved into the Department of Animal Science as a swine extension uh, specialist. And also I do environmental manure uh, work with producers as well. And been on, on staff at K-State now just over 19 years. And my role today is extension and research. So I work uh, lot with producers um, and then as well as training of graduate students get involved in some teaching activities but uh, mainly focus on research and extension as part of my current job very good and uh, two comments right one is that for those that don't know I, I, dr. Rush was in my committee so that was a joy to interact with you there and, and then second I mean you you guys as a group formulated for a lot of sows around the globe so that's that's very uh, it's very good, I think, when you know faculty members can uh, have real life experience. Yeah. It's uh, I think uh, we take that as as for granted sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's one thing, and you know, each program's a little different, and each every person in our swine industry is a little different where their interests are. And we're very fortunate here that we uh, carry a lot of the same interests um, in the applied research side, as well as staying with a tight producer connection, not only in Kansas but throughout the U.S. and the world, and uh, we've been very fortunate to have a number of graduate students that have went on to um, have wonderful and rewarding careers for us, and um, including yourself and, mm-hmm. and what you're doing, but many others as production nutritionists, others yeah. in academics, uh, the feed industry. So uh, that, that truly gives us the most joy in our jobs is to see the, the students, whether graduate students in particular, but a lot of undergraduates that we work with end up in careers in the swine field. Very good. Um, so as we think about feed enzymes, uh, Joe, what's, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah, you know, this is one that, you know, we always get a lot of questions on and the industry is really engaged with. I mean, feed enzymes are obviously nothing new, been around for decades. Um, probably the most routine one, I mean, if we want to start talking about use, obviously phytase has to come to the top of the list. Phytase is is standard. You are hard-pressed anywhere in the world, quite honestly, um, to not find phytase in every swine diet. Mm-hmm. Now, there is cases where it's not, but in general, it's a it's almost viewed as a commodity phytase mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And the real reason, I mean, if you go through the list of reasons, if you'd ask most, it's certainly for to increase the amount of phosphorus uh, digestible or available, depending how you want to formulate, that's available to that pig. And thus, we decrease the amount of supplemental through monocal or dical phosphate as most typical sources in North America, um, at least. And we decrease to lower feed cost. And, and along with lowering feed cost, 
It decreases the amount of phosphorus excretion mm-hmm. in manure, which helps us with our manure management plans and from an environmental standpoint. Also, uh, the calcium. Calcium, you, you look through almost all data, gets released at approximately the same amount as the amount of phosphorus that gets released at the different levels that we can feed phytase. So that's probably been slower to adopt, and there's still many nutritionists that necessarily don't give a calcium credit. I think more and more over the last five years in particular, that's become more accepted uh, as we've done a better job of formulating to more an available basis of both minerals or digestible basis of both minerals. So it's just standard. I mean, I don't think there's any debate there. Now, the only time that we can get into a debate is at the very high levels of phytase, whether we are confident that we're releasing 0.15, 0.16 digestible or available phosphorus. But again, those are things that are philosophical probably outside of this talk. But again, very, very commonly used for those particular purposes. Very good. No, that makes sense. One thing that always comes to my mind when we on that topic is, I remember a conversation I had with Dr. Stein a few years back about the calcium release and uh, was interesting because we want to be conservative in general. We want to be safe, but the thought there is almost the opposite because meaning if you don't give a calcium release, it's almost that that is maybe aggressive because uh, too much calcium sometimes is not good. So I thought that was interesting from uh, almost counterintuitive uh, from that standpoint. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, as we look at limestone, one of the lowest cost ingredients that we'd have in a diet. And and actually, um, when you give a calcium loading, you can actually increase diet cost because what happens is, is as you pull limestone down and replace Mm. it with corn, you're offsetting with a more expensive ingredient. So on a least cost basis, you know, it's, it sometimes can actually work against you, mm-hmm. but the reality is, is you're exactly right. If we get too much calcium in these diets, and we clearly know that now, especially if we get over like a two, you know, you know, even one and a half, we could argue a lot of data, two to one, uh, we know we're decreasing growth if we looked at a total or analyzed basis comparing those. And there's a lot of different ways we can look at those ratios, but that's absolutely correct. So we need to be accounting for so we're not hurting our growth performance by using it by having too much calcium. Very good. One one thought that comes to mind also in the phytase, uh, Dr. Rushi, and I know you've, you've done several studies on that area, is the super dosing. Yeah, so yeah, the super dosing, Beyond P, a lot of different names uh, for that. Generally, I think what most have seen and is pretty well accepted is that we would use a super dose level. So again, so superdose level, for argument's sake, let's just say it's 2,000 FTUs per kilogram, um, you know, give or take and depending on the product. Uh, but oftentimes we will find a nice growth benefit from that during the nursery phase so that both really from the starter diet through the end of the nursery period, it's not uncommon that we would see an additional one to two pounds of growth um, uh, by feeding a high level. And what also in that is, is we we max out the amount of digestible phosphorus release. And Mm -hmm. so we're feeding more in addition to that. And it's uh, still somewhat unknown. There's certainly beliefs of of energy, potential energy release, um, endocidol, different things that that may be going on. 
but I would say it's probably not clearly defined why that is. Now, the, now one issue is in grill finish. The grill finish data is much, much more variable. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I'd probably lend that most of that data would, would not support an additional growth benefit above that, what we're getting in for phosphorus. But again, um, sometimes that comes down to replication too. We're trying to find small differences and we can maybe get into this discussion when we get into the energy and amino acid side, because that's a point I want to bring up is yeah. we recognize, you know, it almost starts to fall into a feed additive category where we're trying to promote growth. Mm -hmm. And in these cases, we're talking about probably a one to maybe 2% improvement. Right. The amount of replication that we need is, is quite substantial. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that's why in many cases we're not statistically finding these differences even though they may be there on a marginal or numerical basis. We just need to get replication of tests. Right. No, that makes total sense. So I think five days uh, was pretty, pretty well covered there. Uh, anything else that comes to mind that, you know, based on your studies over the, the, the decades or even recently? Yeah, you know, as feed cost as we, you know, and I think it falls in with phytase and, and even with the xylanase, proteases as well. Um, but I think with phytase, there's been, there's been a continued to be more efforts looking at, do we give phytase an amino acid and energy right. credit? Okay. Right. And really what I mean by that is, are we improving the digestibility of the diet to liberate or make more amino acids available for digestion and absorption mm -hmm. in, that, in that base diet, as well as through that same process, are we uh, breaking down the phytate, which may hold more of the the uh, calories uh, that would release more energy for that pig. Very interesting. We've done a couple different studies looking at giving credits beyond the phosphorus and calcium in terms of an amino acid release and a energy release per a uh, manufacturer's recommendations. And oftentimes those recommendations are, are developed with good research. Uh, they're done a lot of times in metabolism or done with individual pigs and and you can measure the amino acid digestibility very precisely as well as the potential energy uh, digestibility changes. Um, one of the challenges we've seen is translating this inf that exact information generated on these individual pigs into a field study. As you mentioned, we've done some research, we've seen many other research data sets, and again, there's high variation in terms of what actually is the outcome of that energy or amino acid release. Right. But as an example, you know, many manufacturers would have in their spec sheets on an energy basis, somewhere around about a 1% added fat release value when feeding a high level of phytase. And again, um, as we've looked at that, we've, been a, we've had a very hard time replicating a full energy release. Um, mm -hmm. And again, if you think about 1% added fat, about 2% improvement in um, feed efficiency or as well as gain. And again, here you're, you're needing on a replication basis, you're needing to probably somewhere be around at the minimum of 20, uh, probably around that 25 replications per treatment to start teasing out those sort of differences in a commercial setting. Right. Um, and also the reason it's driven, it really provides the economics of phytase. Again, if you, if phytase by itself is economical just by right. the use of phosphorus. Now, as we start to peel into other nutrients and, energy in particular, we start talking about 1% added fat. Well, that's about $4 a ton of added costs at the current prices looking at 1% added fat. And that's if you, if that all that energy was there, 
then we certainly need to be taking advantage of that of that uh, reduction in feed cost or lowering of the added fat if you can give a energy uplift for the energy that phytase is providing. We've had a hard time in, in our data would show some feed efficiencies that would not match up when we're trying to balance accordingly to that. Um, often we, there is data sets and one of ours, when you get about half the energy, uh, you probably get somewhat closer. But then again, you're down to 10 pounds of fat. And mm -hmm. again, the, to tease out differences at these low levels is really, really hard. Um, yeah. Amino acids would be the other one. You know, really, when you look at the amino acid loading values, it equals on, you know, depends on the manufacturer, somewhere, somewhere around five pounds of soybean meal per ton. Right. So really small. I mean, oftentimes our tolerances are higher than that at our mills. Right. And so, again, I'm not saying it's not real practically how we adjust for that. And again, on a cost basis, that's about 50 cents a ton if we could do that reduction of soybean meal. And so again, you add those together, you start to get pretty big dollars per pig, per mm -hmm. pig if those full values were there. Unfortunately, we've had a hard time and others the same replicating these full release values in a commercial setting. Yeah, no, that's very well said. And, uh, one thing that, that comes to mind is the I've interacted uh, with, with several nutritionists that are pretty much either mostly poultry or, or half and half poultry and pigs. And that's, I want to hear our thoughts there because I've seen some meta-analysis on other enzymes like protease and you see in, you know, in, in uh, poultry, they seem to get more, more consistent, right? And, and pigs is a little bit of all over the place. So your thoughts there, poultry nutrition, I guess, and pig nutrition related to enzymes. Yeah, you know, it is a fascinating that, that you know, oftentimes some of this is done in, in, in broilers and then shouldn't it just translate into pigs? And, you know, and we find that with different enzymes that we do not get the same level of, of the improvements in growth uh, when we're feeding the different enzymes, and that's just not phytase, it's other uh, xylanase or proteases as well. So different digestive system, different mechanisms, different retention times in the gut, um, all can lead to just that discrepancy. So yeah, this is one, I mean, there's a lot of times that, that pigs and um, uh, poultry, things overlap. Uh, this is one that's been a little more challenging to just take one data set from one species and apply to the other. Very yeah, good. Be real careful in that. That makes sense. So as we start getting closer to the end here, Dr. Derushi, um, any uh, final thoughts on this area? No, I, I think, you know, one, I'm encouraged. Uh, I think our manufacturers have done a great job of developing a product that I think that we all can agree is very consistent in terms of in the phytase uh, enzyme. Yeah. We know it's predictable on a phosphorus and calcium basis. We're starting to understand the, the amino acid and energy release side more, and, I, and that will continue to be developed. There's many nutritionists that give that value today, and it's continually being looked at as a way to lower our feed input cost through the use of high levels of phytase. Proteases, xylanases, again, plenty of data out there that would show some effects, but there's also plenty of data that, that shows the inconsistency, and I think we really have to make sure that we're designing these experiments correctly in the field uh, to make sure we have adequate replication and as well as just that we're getting 
uh, given those um, enzymes the opportunity to provide improvement. Um, I'll be honest, you know, we live in a, in a, in a, with our companies that are very innovative. Um, we're going to keep developing these. I'm very, I'm very hopeful that in years to come, we'll be looking at these other enzymes potentially as a standard in our diets as they get new generation and whether it's mixtures or different types of molecules that are used in other industries that get adopted into our swine industry. We, we never lack innovation you know, over time in our swine nutrition area. And I feel that this is one that holds great opportunity to lower feed input costs. We just have to continue to build our confidence that those release values or what we're getting is there on a consistent basis, group after group. Excellent. It is time to our famous three. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high health registered purebred swine in the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. G-E-N-E-S-U-S dot com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. And now the three questions Dr. Rishi ask every guest every episode. The first one is, uh, what's your favorite uh, pig-related uh, resource or, or book? Yeah, you know, it's probably multiple. You know, like all of us, we get, we get inundated with different information that, that comes. Um, you know, the Quick Reads, the National Hog Farmer, Pork Magazine, they're digital online. Uh, both of them are really good on some current industry topics. Um, I continue to evolve more in the podcast area, <laughs> not just because I'm on this, Marcio, but, but yours um, uh, serves as a great platform to listen in a, in a different setting. Um, and there's other podcasts, but I, I think as I um, evolve my knowledge, that is one where I continue to see opportunity um, that I'm focusing more on uh, in my own personal development as well. Very cool. Any uh, resource or, or book in general? Could be could be fiction. I don't care. It's just anything that for you is is being a. You know, um, you know the book "Good to Great" is one that I've I've really do a lot of uh, reflecting on. That's one that I I do think it's uh, has a lot of good priority and an understanding of of one's uh, ability to prioritize and look at how to do not only professionally but personally uh, just improve yourself. Very cool. And it's, I believe, uh, Jim Collins, right? He used a lot of research in there. So it's pretty mm -hmm. science-based too. So. Yeah. Cool. And then lastly, what do you think sets apart successful swine professionals from those who are not? You've interacted and you've seen a lot of people grow, you know, under your eyes. So any, anything that comes to mind there? Yeah, I think there's two things, in my opinion, that clearly separate one is those that want to dig in and understand the information. There's a lot of information comes out all the time, but it's those that can understand the biology and understanding of when to use certain formulations, how to value ingredients. There's a lot of things that come in that, but those that will take the extra time and truly understand the nutrition area that, they, that they're trying to formulate or, or, or know. The other one is, is networking. Um, the most successful nutritionists, and, and again, this would be outside nutrition too, but in our mm -hmm. swine industry, 
are those that continually talk and, and get information from others. Uh, those that are very closed and, and uh, it's not necessarily that they're not open, but they don't seek other information and input. I think those have a tendency really to struggle at times and to adapt as fast. So those that have their network and utilize it and then thus are relied back on as a resource for others, those just are opportunities to enhance, um, um, be respected, but more importantly, to learn more about what's going on in the industry. So we're not duplicating. There's been so much duplication of research done in yeah. our commercial barns. <laughs> All these facilities have barns. Yeah. It's just talking to know what people are doing. So we, mm-hmm. we're not wasting resources conducting the same research time and time again. Yeah, that's that's huge. I remember uh, Dr. Goodman's class. I don't know if it was the first, uh, probably the first class. He says, you know, your best resource is the phone. Pick up the phone and, and call people. And I love that. Yeah, Very good. I mean, it, and it's crazy because sometimes if I have a question about calcium phosphorus, you know, the, if it's more the basic level, uh, I might call Dr. Tommy Crenshaw there. Uh, it's called, you know what I mean? From a very unique, it's extremely niched uh, type of uh, area that we live. Yeah, and there's a balance of, of digging in and, and learning it. You need to find out something yourself. But there's also the value of a five-minute phone call instead of spending an entire day or afternoon on something that you could get done in literally right. 20 seconds by asking somebody else. So it's understanding how to use your resources effectively in your own time of when you need to invest that time versus when to, when to seek help. Makes total sense. Well, very good. Thanks, Dr. Rusha. Appreciate your time and uh, we'll be in touch. Yep. Thank you, Marcio. Hey everyone, please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics and we even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our wait list. We'll talk soon.